0: My name is Brian Kaufman. My wife and two daughters, we joined Sugar Creek. Um, So about three years ago, we started going on a regular basis uh, and joined the church. So we've been regular for about three years. Two years ago, we were invited to attend the missions banquet. Entry into um, understanding more about Sugar Creek's focus on missions has opened opportunities for me. One of the organizations that exhibited at the banquet in 2016 as an organization that I've now been able to partner with and do missions with. It's a local mission working with refugees. Just last week I completed my first overseas mission trip uh, with Sugar Creek. So a small team of us went to Greece, uh, to Athens and worked with um, one of our partners there in Athens that is really doing a lot of great work with the refugees and working amongst that refugee situation in Athens. So we were over there doing foundations training for a couple of groups both Pakistani and Congolese Uh, individuals, and were able to just train them in simple discipleship-making tools, and it was an incredible honor and joy to be there serving with them. I'm I'm increasingly impressed and in awe of the impact that Sugar Creek is having globally. I think most of us are aware of the impact that Sugar Creek is having in Fort Bend County and in Houston uh, and more local communities. But once you really start to understand the impact we're having globally, um, seeing their heart for for no place left and for the gospel being taken to to all peoples, and, and how that's playing out and how that's you know coming to fruition, um, and just the strategy and the thought—I mean, there's a lot of intentional planning that goes into this, and a lot of, of course, you know, prayer and seeking the Lord's will for where Sugar Creek needs to go and make impact or have impact. I feel it's important for me and my family to be grounded, um, to be a member of, and to participate and serve in a church that um, keeps Jesus Christ as the focal point and spreading the good news to all peoples. And I feel like Sugar Creek is that church where we can, we can learn how to do that and then more importantly we can live that out and we can, we can make that a reality.
1: Hey, didn't you appreciate Brian's story? And yay, God for the Kaufmans and and uh, what God's doing in their lives, and in so many families' lives. We're just opening our eyes and hearts to what God has for us and reaching the world for Him. This has been a tough weekend in the Carolinas, as you know, with uh, the hurricane that has just blown through. And if there's any group of people who understand hurricanes, it's us, right? We understand what they're going through. And I want us to pause for a moment and pray for all of those that are experiencing difficulty. Many of them have been flooded. We know what that's like. And uh, they've just been through a very difficult experience. We want God to be blessed and God to use this. He can use any bad thing. He can use any bad thing and turn it together for good. And we saw him do that in Houston, and we'll pray for that for the Carolinas. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we pray for these who have suffered so much this weekend, gone through such hurt and difficulty such fear for many of them for those who have lost property for those who've lost lives and lost family members we pray father you would be with all of these in that region we pray especially father for the family of god there that this would be a moment just like we saw a moment to step up to stand up and be to be christ in that region and in the flesh and be able to be used by you. And I pray that you would help them to rise to this moment and help others. And, Father, for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go out in that place, be with them, bless them, help them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love the song we just sang. And to think our guys did that. Our guys wrote that in, in, in anticipation for the moment that we're in here at this church. One of the great boxing matches of the 20th century, one of the great boxing matches of the 20th century happened actually on November the 25th, 1980. It was in New Orleans, it was at the Superdome, and it was that match between Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran, and maybe for some of you that were around in that time, you remember that boxing match. Actually, these two guys, both of them, were amazing fighters. Both of them were such, had such skill. Roberto Duran is one of the greatest fighters, really, of all time. And the, the guy had fought 72 matches and only lost one. He was just an, an amazing boxer. And these two had actually met. Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran had met once before, and Duran had, had uh, won that, that battle decisively. So now is a rematch. And uh, you can imagine that a lot of the money that was being bet was on Duran. And so here they were. The first seven rounds, it was even. Evenly matched the first seven rounds. Neither one of them had really landed much of a punch on the other end, and they were being scored almost exactly even. To the eighth round, nobody could have anticipated this. Nobody could have guessed this was going to happen. At the beginning of the eighth round, Roberto Duran looked to the referee and said, no mas, meaning no more. He quit. He was not injured. He was, he was not cut. He admitted later that the reason is because he had become so increasingly frustrated with the match that he lost the will to continue the match. Roberto, Roberto Duran was one of the greatest boxers of all time. But anytime his name is mentioned today, even after all these years, It is not his great power and strength in the ring. It is the nomos that is always mentioned. It is that moment in which he changed his legacy in a moment. There was actually a group of people in the Bible that did exactly the same thing. A group of people that had everything in front of them. A group of people that were going to be amazing A group of people on the verge of a miracle, and on the verge of a miracle, they said, no mas. And they turned, and they walked away. And I want to talk to you about that group of people, because it was at a moment that they were in that is similar to a moment that we are in today. You know the story. Those of you who know Old Testament history know the story of the Israelites. Early in the Israelites' history, they were slaves in Egypt. They were in bondage. They'd been for in bondage and slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And, and they had come to a place of no hope and, and no future. And they were calling out and crying out to God, God, please rescue us. And God responded, he, he brought up a man named Moses. Moses. And through the divine intervention of God, through so many miracles, they were amazing, God used Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. You remember that? And here they came out, and they came out with a powerful, a mighty hand, so much so that the Egyptians said, please leave. We'll give you money if you'll leave. We'll give you treasure if you'll leave. That's exactly what they did. They poured treasure into it just leave. And they went out of Egypt with a mighty hand hand the hand of God and now they were outside of Egypt they were on their way and they came to this this uh, overflowed Red Sea that was swollen with water and they couldn't get across there was no way to get across and they were right there in front of the Red Sea and what had happened is is that all of a sudden Pharaoh had a change of heart he gathered up an army and here he is coming for them They were going to kill Moses, kill all the leaders of the the Israelites and bring them back into forever slavery. They had the Red Sea in front of them. They had Pharaoh and his army coming after behind them and they had nowhere to turn. And they cried out to God, oh God help us. And God answered and he split that Red Sea. He allowed them to walk across that riverbed on dry ground. It was an absolute miracle, and they walked across on the other side on dry ground. And when the Egyptian army began to follow them and into that same path, God simply brought the waters back and destroyed that invading army. God said to Moses in that moment, I have a promised land for you. I have a place that is wonderful that I have reserved for you and the Israelite people for their descendants for all generations forever. I have a place. I'm giving you a promised land. Moses then led them down into the Sinai Peninsula to a place, a mountain called Mount Sinai, where God gave to them what is called the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses and gave to them. And then God said to them, it's time. He said to Moses, it's time. Take them to a place called Kadesh Barnea. Take them to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was on the edge of the promised land the southern edge of the promised land. You take them there. And the Bible says that in Numbers chapter 13 verse 1, the Lord said to Moses now, send 12 men to explore the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites. I'm giving this to you. Send 12 spies out to spy out the land. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Off they go. For 40 days, they are spying out the land, this promised land. And at the end of the 40 days, they come back with a report. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They brought back the fruit, look, and they gave Moses this account. They said, we went into the land that you sent us, and it's just like God said, it flows with milk and honey, and here is the fruit. But, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large, and we even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. What are they saying? It is exactly the way God says it is. It is exactly this great, great place. We've seen it, but we can't take it. Those people are too strong. Those cities are too mighty. They've got these fortresses around them, walls. We could never take this land we can't do it. It's going to cost too much sacrifice for us. It's going to cost too much from us. And the answer is we can't go. Well, there were two of the spies. This was 10. No, there were two of the spies who said, yes, we can, Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. So what happens? What happens? These people believe the ten and they cower back in fear and they say we will not go in to the promised land. We can't Do it. The tragedy here is they could have. The tragedy is God had already given it to them. The tragedy is that God had already said to them, I will go ahead of you. I will cause you to be a success. I will make sure you are a success. I will do it for you. But they were so swallowed up with fear, so swallowed up with doubt, that they said no to God. All of us in this room that know the history in the Old Testament know what happens next for the next 38 years. The next 38 years, they're wandering around in the promise, running around in the desert, going nowhere with no destination. 38 years. Why 38 years? God said everyone that voted no, everyone that said that God cannot do this, everyone, you're going to die in the, the desert. I will not let you go into the promised land. And so God waited until every last one of them, took 38 years, till every last one of them that said no, every last one of them were dead. And then God turned to the Israelite people, the next generation, and said, Now, do you want the promised land? And they said, Yes, sir, we are going in. It took 38 years. and they gave up the great opportunity to see a miracle, a wonderful thing that could happen to them, all because of fear and doubt. Why is this so important to us? Because here's the truth, every single church, every church has its Kadesh Barneas, every church has its defining moments, that's what that was. Every church has moments that that arise in that church of what will we do? What courage will we have? What commitment will we have? Will we go forward or backward? Every church has these Kadesh Barneas. And so do we. A defining moment is a point in time in which the decision and the response that we make will define us. A defining moment will define us from that point on. we will be talking about this moment for years to come because this is the next defining moment of this church. Now, I want to talk to you about that, but before I do, I want to pause for a moment, and I want to say to everyone in this room who is our guest, you're visiting our church today, or maybe you are a a new member. You've just been a part of our church for a short period of time. I rarely teach on the subject of giving back financially to the church. I do teach on it maybe once or even twice in a particular year. There have been some years I didn't even teach at all that year. But it is an important part of our Christian life to give back to God. It's an important part of trusting God, of learning faith, And I teach on this subject maybe one time a year or maybe sometimes two times a year. But over these weeks, you're going to be hearing me talk about it quite a bit. And so why? What's the difference? Because we are at a key moment in our church's life in which there are some projects that we must do. And so I'm talking to our family our church family, about this. So you're going to hear me talking about this subject far more than we usually do. So, First of all, I'm relieving you. It isn't every week from now on until Jesus comes back. But it is for right now. And in fact, there have been other times in our church's life in which we needed to pause and we needed to talk about a faith, a commitment of giving to God. This auditorium, this worship center we're in, was built in 1994, and it was built, didn't come out from heaven, it was built because a whole group of people committed deeply and gave deeply, sacrificially to make this worship center a reality. We have a seat in this worship center today, all of us, because there were people decades ago who looking forward said, oh God, this auditorium, this worship center is critical, and so God, I will commit I will sacrifice deeply so this can be a reality, so that I can make seats for people to come. People for decades to come. The commons area, the, the classrooms, the parking lots, this whole land, these, all of these things, these were not given by some wealthy people. These were given by a normal, everyday average us. Over the years, our church saying, we want to have a church here. We want to build the buildings and to buy the property, and we, we want to make a way. And we have reached that point again, a defining moment in our church. So over the next uh, week or so, a couple of weeks, I want to talk to you about this subject, and I want to talk to you today about it as well. So what is our Kadesh Barnia, at Sugar Creek. What is our defining moment that we are facing today? Let me explain where we are. In 2012, our church made the most amazing decision, the most critical decision. It is a decision that actually will go down in history, maybe is the most important one we ever made, to become a multi-campus church. Why did we do that? Well, in 2012, we, became a, we decided as a church to become a multi-campus church because we recognized reality. We only have 13 acres. We only have 13 acres, and we knew that a day would come in which we would fill up all 13 acres, and then what? What are we going to do? We can't say, well, okay, we're out of business now. We're not, it's just going to be about us and the Great Commission. We're not going to even think about it anymore. We couldn't do that. That is not the heart and soul of this church. So what do we do when we saturate these 13 acres? What do we do next? And we came to a realization that a multi-campus church has no ceiling. We came to realize that God had a vision that it was greater than 13 acres for Sugar Creek and that God wanted us to keep reaching people and never, ever stop. And so what we came to a realization of is this. When we saturate this property, what we can do is we can simply take a group of people, send a group of hundreds off to launch a new campus. And then this campus can backfill what, those that left the empty seats and two campuses can begin reaching people for Christ. And if you think about it, a multi campus church has no ceiling it has no end because as soon as it it fills up again it simply launches another campus now this vision this great vision that god has given us of reaching this region we said there is no end we can keep on going with what god has called us to do and so 6 years ago we launched our first extra campus. It was in the Siena Plantation community. We had 400 of our members that lived in that community that said, we want to take this on. And we launched the campus that was called Sugar Creek Siena. It was at Ridgepoint High School. And we launched five and a half years ago, a year and a half ago. All of a sudden, a property came available on Highway 6 in Missouri City. A church was selling its property, and Sugar Creek reached out and took advantage of the moment, and we bought that property. And then we moved the Sugar Creek Sienna congregation, and that we renamed it Sugar Creek Missouri City. At the time this happened, our second campus was averaging about 350, and today, 18 months later, we're now averaging over 900 on that campus. It has just gone crazy. And so many people are coming to know the Lord. So many families are being reached. It's just amazing. We had one service, then two, then three, and we have filled them up. And our Missouri City campus, the buildings at least, the buildings have now reached a critical place in which there's no, there's no capacity left. There's room on the property to build a worship center, but there is not enough room in the existing buildings. We've got to build a building there. At the very same time this was happening on the Missouri City campus, our Sugar Land campus had backfilled, and we now had even gone beyond what had happened six years ago, and our campus at the Sugar Land campus has reached a capacity. We think we've only got another year, another year and a half left, and then we will end up plateauing and every plateaued church ends up declining. We've come all the way back to a saturated capacity. Now, how, what, what do we judge that by? Well, not the worship center because you'll see empty seats. It's full in here, but there's still empty seats, and in all three services there are. What defines capacity at Sugar Land Campus is the parking. We've got over 2,000 people parking off campus now, and we're reaching a place in which we're at saturation. Both of these campuses at the same time reach this point. And so, last June at a special call business meeting for our church, our church voted unanimously to give permission to the Missouri city campus to have a fundraising time to Build a new worship center. And in two Sundays, on the 30th of September, they will be receiving commitments by the, the members of the Missouri City campus to build raise the funds to build a new worship center at Missouri City. Yay, God, for this. See, this is not a problem. This is an opportunity. This is, we prayed for this. Oh, God, keep bringing more people. Keep helping us to reach more for, for the cause of Jesus Christ at the same business meeting the church voted unanimously to ask the sugarland campus us if we would take on three projects the first of those projects was simply this to well here we go the sugarland campus to raise funds for three key projects we're asking for a two year commitment from our members accomplish these three goals and here's here they are first that we pay off the last remaining debt in the purchase of the Missouri City campus the debt we still owe is 2.6 million dollars a year and a half ago 18 months ago we bought that property for 4.2 million dollars and we renovated the building and we built another parking lot and we paid cash for all of that and we took all the savings that we had saved up for the extra campus and we paid down our debt from 4.2 down to 2.6 and now we're asking would the Sugarland campus pay off this debt now why there is only one reason there's only one reason we were able to purchase that property 18 months ago, and that was because we were debt-free. Other churches wanted to do this, but they had debt. They couldn't move, but we could because we were debt-free. For 43 years, this church, Sugarland, Sugar Creek, has for 43 years been either a no-debt or a short-term debt church because we don't want our tithes and offerings to go to interest, to pay out interest. We want it to go to ministry. And so we get rid of the debt as fast as we possibly can. We want to be debt free again. We want to be ready. If God wants to do something in our church's life, we want to be ready to be able to respond. And so the first project is to pay off that last remaining debt of $2.6 million. The second is that we will launch now our third campus in the Richmond Rosenberg area down Highway 59. We're ready. This campus is already saturated again, and it's time. And what we want to do is move 600 of our members who live in Richmond Rosenberg to that new campus to launch our third campus. Guess what? We're two thirds of the way there. We have already have almost 400 people that have said we're all in. We're going to do it. When it when it launches, we're going to be a part of it. Almost 400 people. And we've had another almost 400 people that have said, look, we're not sure yet, but we are very interested. We probably will do it. We may do it. We need some more information, need to pray it through. But we are very interested in this. And we believe with that combined, we're going to reach our 600, our goal of sending 600 of our members. We have all these members from Richard Rosenberg. It's time to launch that third campus. The only thing that we need now is what it will take to build out the, the property we want to lease to launch that campus. We don't want to buy more land. We don't want to build more buildings. It would cost between 10 to $15 million. We just don't want to do that right now. We want to get started. And the way we believe we can do that is if we lease a storefront. Kind of like across the highway, the 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 life center that's we lease to lease a storefront in the Richmond Rosenberg area. But how do you turn an empty shell into a church? You've got to build a worship center. You've got to build all these classrooms, all these little kids, the, the preschool ministry. And in between each of the two preschool classrooms, you've got to have a little bathroom for the little kids. And, and there's just it takes so much to build it out. We're not sure how much it's going to cost, but we've worked with an architect, and we believe that it's going to be somewhere around $2.4 million just to build out the least empty shell so that we're ready to open it up and that campus ready to go as a strong vibrant campus and so we're asking that the Sugarland campus Give us the dollars to be able to build out so that we can launch that third campus. We'll begin with an English service and a Spanish service from the very beginning. And we believe that that campus will reach people like crazy and it will give us an opportunity to touch the lives of people we could not have touched otherwise. With the gospel of Christ, it's just amazing what's going to happen there. You add those two together and it totals $5 million dollars. And the third project is simply this. Every year we already have Missions Month, and we we collect a Missions Month offering. It's a special offering every December, and 100% of it goes to missions around the world. And we said, but we don't want to have this campaign, and then two months later have another offering for crying out loud. Why don't we pull all of it together into one, and let's raise the Missions Month offering with these other two projects and our goal this year was 700,000 so we simply, simply added the 700,000 to the 5 million 5.7 million dollars over the course of the next two years and here's what we ask you are already going to give to missions month many of you many of you were going to give to missions month already so start with where you were going what you were going to give start there and now what will you give to the other two projects put them together and it's this the Sugarland Campus goal is to raise $5.7 million to be given over the next two years to accomplish these three goals. And that is money over and above what we give to the ministry of this church. This is hard. There is nothing easy about this. We do not have wealthy people that underwrite this ministry. We don't. And what has happened is through the years, every time we face this moment... Everybody pulls together. We have a large church, and when everybody pulls together, even what seems a little bit, when everyone pulls together, it's amazing what happens when we bring it all together. This is our Kadesh Barnea. And I will tell you, if it doesn't happen, we will stop as a church dead in our tracks. And there will be a moment in the next 12 to 18 months in which we will hit a plateau and we'll begin to decline. This is the moment. As I think about this Kadesh Barnea, this key defining moment for our church, I go back to the story that I've begun with, that what happened with the Israelites, because it speaks truth to us about this moment. There's three things that we've got to grasp from the story. First, we've got to recognize, just like they needed to, and commit ourselves to God's destiny for our church. God has a destiny for every single one of us. Every one of us, He gives us talents and abilities and resources and opportunities because He wants every single one of us individually to reach a destiny that He has has put before us. Well, the same thing is true collectively as a church. There is a destiny that God has for this church that he wants us to accomplish, to reach others in this region and around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that was true. In Numbers 13, in this story of the Israelites, in this key moment of Kadesh Barnea, it was true for them. God told them as they were coming out, I'm going to give you a promised land. When they got through the the Red Sea, I'm going to give you a promised land. And then at at, uh, Mount Sinai, when he had given them the law in Leviticus 20, verse 24, but I say to you, God's talking to Moses, you will possess the land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. And then when they arrive at Kadesh, here is what he reaffirms. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. This wasn't a maybe. This wasn't a hope. So God was saying, it is a surety. I'm giving this to you. The land was theirs. They were at the edge of the desert. They were ready to go into their destiny. And all they had to do was to trust God and obey God. Sugar Creek has been here. He is, we have been in this moment several times for 43 years. So many times we have reached that moment in which we, we've got to make a decision as a church to commit ourselves to the next step as a church. And for 43 years we've said yes to God. Time after time after time we've said yes to God. For decades before I came here, I'd heard of Sugar Creek. I'd heard of the, uh, of the work of God in this place. I'd, I, I'd heard of the, God's intervention in this church and how it was reaching so many people for Christ. And when the pastor search committee came and talked to me about coming here, to be honest with you, I was excited To think, to be a part of a place like this where God was so powerfully at work. And now for the last 16 years, I've been a part of this and I've seen it from the inside. It seems like we've kind of hit a stop and boom, there is something that pops out of nowhere and God has yet again provided for us. God has yet again moved us forward. This is a God-touched place. And can I tell you that our greatest days are ahead of us and not behind us? This church cannot outvision God. God has such a vision for this place, and he tends to use this church in such a powerful way. Our future is so rich ahead of us, and God is saying to us, Would you trust me? The common characteristic of a great church is like this. The common characteristic of great churches like this is sort of a holy restlessness, a a deep seated passion to never, never, ever stop. Great churches that God uses in great ways are a church that is fueled by this passion of reaching people for Christ. We, we, We say it this way our purpose is to love and lead all people, to life change in Christ. To no matter what happens, we never, ever stop. This is where we are. This is the moment. And here is what I'm saying. This is yet another opportunity to tangibly recommit ourselves to this destiny that God has given to us. Here's what I want to say to you. With all my heart, with all transparency, I know without a shadow of a doubt that he wants to pay us to pay off that debt. I know without a shadow of a doubt he wants us to launch this third campus. And I am taking this on. Kathy and I are taking this on. And I'm asking you to come and go with us. I'm asking you to come and join us to see this next step in what God has designed for our church. To recommit ourselves to God's destiny for our church. There's a second thing I see in it, and that is that we must decide how big we believe our God is. See, what happened to these people is that they underestimated what God could do and would do. These 12 Israelite representatives went out to spy the land Their purpose was to find out its wealth, what kind of people were there, what kinds of cities. But they were not to decide, can we do it? They were not to decide whether we could do it because God had already decided that. But yet they were swallowed up with doubt and fear. And they walked away from their great moment. Numbers 13, 28, but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified, and they're very large. They're too big. The city's too strong. We can't do it. But here's what I want to say to you. There will always be a reason to not go forward. There will always be giants in the land. There will always be great obstacles. There will always be these moments in our life. We've got to be willing to trust God and obey him because if we do, we will always see his power. We will always see His provision if we move forward in faith. This is the moment for us. you know what is interesting in the story? What is interesting in the story is that 38 years later, here they are, they, the, all the last people have died who said no, and they're back to the promised land, and God's asked the new generation, "Now, do you want to take on the promised land?" And they said, "Yes, sir. We are all in. And there is Moses is dead, and Joshua is leading. And Joshua, the first city they're going to come to is Jericho. And so Joshua sends just a handful of spies to go into Jericho. What is it like? Come back and give us the report about their defenses. And there, these spies, when they're in Jericho, meet a woman who realizes who they are, and she says, I want to help you. And here's what she says to them. She said, The people of Jericho have been frightened for 40 years of you Israelites. We heard of the miracles of your God. We have been living in panic for 40 years. Do the math. 40 years was when they came out of Egypt and these people in Cana had heard about the, the, the splitting of the Red Sea. They had heard about the miracles of God. They knew these people had a God that was powerful and they were full of fear. What the Israelites at Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea did not understand is that God had already put fear in the hearts of these people. Oh, they're too big. We can't overcome them. No, the people in the land were saying, oh, my, here come the Israelites. We're doomed. In these Israelites' minds, God was too small of a God. So I want to ask you the question how big is your God? How big is your God? We we sing about how great he is, how powerful he is, how much of a, a provider he is in our lives. How big is your God? Because God is wanting to use you and me to see this become a reality too. Jesus said to his disciples, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So, Pastor, what are you asking us to do? I'm asking every single one of us, Kathy and I involved, and you as well, I'm asking all of us to go to God and say, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want me to do individually? What do you want our family to do collectively? God, what do you want us to do? And whatever you tell us to do, the answer is yes. Here's the third thing that we decide to get off the sidelines And we actually take the risk for God to use us. Faith is not faith until you act on it. Faith is an action, not a feeling. And so here is what we're asking. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. God has blessed some more than others, at least financially. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice so that all of us go to God. God, what is a sacrifice to you? from our family, we willingly sacrifice and give this our gift to take the next step forward in faith as our church. Our commitment on will be in two Sundays, on the 30th of September, on the 30th of September, on that Sunday, in two Sundays, that we say, God, here it is. This is our commitment to this campaign. If that commitment is $1 a year then give it in faith. Give it in faith. What has been the strength of this church for all these years is that we have done it together for 43 years. I've never seen a church that is more filled with unity, more filled with love for each other than this church. And so I'm going to ask you to do me a favor if you would. Would you stand with me right now? Wherever you are in the worship center, would you stand? And I'm going to ask you to take the hand of the person on either side of you, going across the aisles and just taking hand, the hand of those across the aisles. And as one church saying, let's go to the Lord and ask him, God, would you use us? Would you bless? Inside your worship guide, there is a prayer guide. And we're asking you all week long to use this prayer guide and all of it is about unity. This is the heart of us. A united church, a church that love each people love each other and together say, God, my little part may not seem that big, but united with across three, four services in this church, God, you can use this and we ask you to do it. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we come to you today and God This looks so humongous. $5.7 million over two years. Oh, God. It looks so huge to us. But, God, you've done this before in this church. You've blessed us before because we were willing to sacrifice. And so, God, would you move among us yet again? to launch yet another campus, to reaching people that would not have come here, that we wouldn't have had space for them anyway, to keep reaching beyond. God, deepen our tie with each other and our love for each other and together. Would you use us to see what seems impossible today to become an amazing miracle, an amazing reality? We ask, Father, for you to bless us so that we can give back to you. That we would be a funnel that you would use. Father, we pray this looking to you as our provider. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you be seated for just a moment? And I'm going to ask Pastor...